Sonic Statesman.com. Okay, so welcome one and all to uh, Sonic Talk number 68, um, approaching, approaching Christmas and 70 simultaneously. Still haven't figured out what the uh, travel Christmas plans are just yet. Not quite sure whether I'm going to, what we'll take off, but I'm sure we'll all get a nice break. Um, anyway, so um, this week, uh, without further ado, let me introduce my guests. Uh, uh, first of all, I think I'll start with Mark this time. You're at the top of the list and I'm feeling very procedural today. So Mark Tinley, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Anything exciting happening to you in the last week or so, or are you just kind of um, uh, cruising? Yeah, very exciting, actually. Oh, very great. exciting. My uh, partner's uh, got some new kittens. We got them on Saturday. Well, we've got some new kittens, actually. Well, at her request. So, How many kittens? When you say kittens, are you a you hundred? Two. two. A boy and a girl. Aww. And, uh, yeah, they're quite good fun, actually. They're still sort of cowering under the bed upstairs and wondering whether they should explore. But when they explore, they're very funny. And they're very, very talkative as well. I can just picture your my, your YouTube channel filling up with pictures of kittens inside cognac glasses and uh, and the like. Ah, but maybe not, because I deleted my entire YouTube channel because I decided that I was bored of YouTube. <laughs> oh, I'd have, have to find something else to... There are to, other alternatives, I've heard. Photographs on Picasso, actually. If you find my web album on Picasso, there's some photos of them on there. Okay, well, we look forward to that. And uh, going down the list in uh, procedural fashion, we've got Mr. Richard Hilton from Connecticut. How the devil are you, Mr. Richard? Quite well, thank you very much. Good to have you aboard anyway, Rich. Thanks for coming along. Thank you. Uh, Mr. PJ uh, Tracy is not here today. I just got an email saying, sorry, I overslept, uh, so he's going to have the morning off. Don't blame him. It's always nice to be able to do that, the flexible side of things. So we'll move straight on to non-Eric from Berlin. Hello, hello. Here's Gatecrasher. Gatecrasher, um, yeah. Well, I, f- I felt like a Gatecrasher yesterday, at least, at the Apple event. Oh, yeah, you went to the Logic Tour. Yes, pretty lame, actually. Well, I guess, you know, you probably know all you need to know. I mean, I think you were just going there to cause trouble. I was, and it was great because um, they were showing Mainstage, which is a great live tool, only that it crashed on their demo. Oh, no, really? (laughs) That's a bit worrying, actually, because um, I know a band who are basing their live show on that technology at the moment, so I hope hope it's all right. Yeah, as the demonstrators quoted, well... At least it boots up really quickly. (laughs) Tell that to the 20,000 screaming fans. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, um, Mr. Non-Eric from Berlin, um, host of musotalk.de for all your German vodcast and podcast requirements. I looked at your discography, Hans, and I was very, very impressed, I have to say. Didn't realise you'd worked on all of of that stuff. Some of of my favourite tunes in there, in fact. Really? And it's not even complete, the one on Discog, obviously. Yeah, that's where I, I think that's what I looked at, Discogs, yeah. Yeah, some, some of the stuff was pretty popular in the UK, middle of the 90s, trance sort of stuff. I was going to say, there's one track on there that I really loved, but I can't remember what it was. I'm so useless. I spent my entire life with Duran Duran, Nick would say to me, save a prayer, and I'd get completely muddled up with uh, the other one, which I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> So with names of things, I'm awful. So I'll, I'll go and have a look, and then I'll tell you later. Anyway, hands welcome. And uh, Mr. David Spears from G4 Software, that's g4software.com, basking in the glory of the good reviews from VSM, no doubt. Yeah, 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 we've had some, I've had some great, a great week, actually. You've had some good press there, I've seen, and, and quite rightly so. We've had some real surprises. That's brilliant. I was just about to email a mate of mine who is working with a 
band in Japan, or, you know, they've been doing a kind of art tour thing, to say, can you give me the email address of uh, one of the other bands? And uh, lo and behold, a quote came in from the guy via Chris, who'd been working, he'd been working with the Scissor Sisters, uh-huh. and uh, he'd been using VSM. Excellent. And sent us this completely unsolicited quote, and I'm quite a huge fan of this guy, so... Uh, I was well chuffed. Oh, good. Good for you. And, and deservedly so. Right. Well, I, I know um, non-Erica can't be with us for that long, so let's jump straight in and um, and see what we've got on the list today. So um, the first one was, uh, I don't know if anyone saw, Crave is a sort of podcast kind of stroke series at CNET where it's just all about gadgets, basically, and they've got the, a, a top 10 terrible gadgets, and I was having a look at through that, and uh, I was very happy to see... Um, at number one, the Sinclair C5. But the Sinclair C5, as you know, is uh, it was that sort of death trap electronic. It was like a what was it like? It was a kind of. A, it was, how would you describe? It? It's like a bucket with three wheels at a, that you're supposed to drive on the road at a maximum speed of something like 15 miles an hour, maybe less. And you were in, it was like one of those incumbent um, bicycles. So you're almost lying down on the road with no protection whatsoever. Needless to say, it didn't it didn't catch on. Anyone have one? Anyone had a go on one? No, it was like a flattened disabled vehicle, wasn't it? Yeah. And technically it's a bicycle because it doesn't have a, has it got a 200 watt engine in it or something? So it it doesn't actually mean that it's properly electrically powered. I never saw anyone actually drive one because I suppose you could sort of go underneath large HGV vehicles, which is kind of quite a terrifying thought. (laughs) (laughs) There's quite a lot of games in there, so perhaps not so useful. Tamagotchi. Terrible gadgets. I'd agree with that. I'm not sure whether it's actually... Because I wouldn't say the Tamagotchi wasn't successful. I seem to think they still make them and kids are still playing them, aren't they? They are. They're back. They've been back for a year or so with a vengeance. My nipper had about five of them at one point. Dad, can you reboot it? It's dead again. (laughs) I I just never really understood them. They just sort of go beep, beep, beep and show random characters on the screen, don't they? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You have to care for them. Oh, and feed them Jesus. and exercise them. How do you exercise a Tamagotchi? Well, you have to tell it to exercise. Bleats at you every ten minutes. Oh, Dave, I want some. Well, you know I'm what it's bored. like. I'm lonely. Yeah, when you go out to a restaurant or something like that with the kids, they're always mucking about. So you can kind of go, look, here, here's eight Tamagotchis. Keep them amused for an hour. <laughs> and the Sony Rootkit CDs. That's a te- that's a pretty bad gadget. Remember that one? The virus that uh, that scanned your hard drive and then reported back to base with your yeah. vital statistics. Oh. Quality piece of work, that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course, Windows Vista. I'm doing all the talking here. Nobody's obviously... <laughs> I know Hans doesn't have anything to say. We could just forget about this one and move straight on to the next one, because then... Uh, I'll talk about Windows Vista. It's rubbish. Yeah. yeah it's our new Millennium Edition. <laughs> the follow-up to the successful Windows Millennium Edition. The most useless version of Windows ever available is now updated. To Windows Vista. Vista. Well, oh, yes. they rather they rather slightly put this. Uh, any operating system that provokes a campaign for its predecessor's reintroduction deserves to be classed as terrible technology. Any operating system that quietly has a downgrade to previous edition option introduced for PC makers deserves to be classed as terrible technology. Any operating system that takes six years of development but is instantly hated by hordes of PP- PC professionals and enthusiasts deserves to be classed as terrible technology. I'd say that's a fairly a fairly impressive case for the prosecution. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we'll gloss quietly over that one. Let's move straight on to the fabulous 303 Orchestra. <laughs> I 
of that because the sound is absolutely dreadful. And try as I might, I couldn't find a better <laughs> recording of it. So it rather kind of negates that. But it was a, it's basically a chap called um, Jury Hulkunen, who is Finnish, a Finnish kind of musical, electronic musical person. I'm not quite sure what his exact thing is, but uh, he's he created this... Um, 303 Orchestra, and he played it at the UMF Festival in Turku in Finland in August. I found this on the Music Thing blogspot, which is a great resource. I don't know, what do you, how would you, how, what do you think the mechanics of actually making a 303 Orchestra are? Oh, presumably they'd all have to be synced together, would they? Didn't sound like it, did it? <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps <That> not. <laughs> I did notice on the bill, um, there was a status quo tribute band on the same bill. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that sort of says anything for the quality of the actual um, festival itself, and I'm sure it must have been good because Finland has a sort of one of those strange summers, doesn't it? It's it's kind of fairly grim weather most of the time, and then they have kind of like two weeks of fabulously hot mosquito laden summer, which is just almost depending on how far you up the country you are, it's almost sort of permanently light. So maybe it's uh, they take advantage and just put on as many festivals as possible. But- yeah, or maybe that's a cure against uh, suicide. I think they have the highest suicide rate in Finland, and probably need. It's an urban myth. That is <laughs> apparently really? apparently it's Estonia. Oh, okay. That's just round the corner, though. I suppose it is, <laughs> but then. Um, when we were looking at the uh, that, that music database, the Grace Note music database, uh, Estonia had uh, almost exclusively um, heavy metal um, content in its charts, didn't it? Death metal. Death I metal, oh, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps a little tasteless. But um, he's he's actually quite an interesting bloke, this guy. I mean, he's done a lot of things. He's, I noticed when I was looking up him on Dis- Discogs, in fact, he remixed the Gullfrap Utopia track, um, mm-hmm. which is really weird because there's a connection because I did that. I did one as well. I did a remix. So we're kind of, we have a collaborative connection without ever having um, met or me found out much about him. The 303 Orchestra then, something that you'll be going to see when they play at a venue near you recently, soon? I probably would. Yeah, I think I probably would as well. They could tour with those people with the little theremins on their laps. That would be a hell of heck of an ensemble. And a call and response would be just... Oh, tingling, fine tingling. I thought the conductor was sort of doing some strange conducting because he wasn't really conducting them at all. So maybe they are all in different time signatures and they're not all synced up because he just seemed to be wiggling a bit like Acid House sort of rave dancing or something. Well, that seems entirely appropriate seeing as it's a 303 orchestra. He should have been doing the, you know... The beat signature, at least. I mean, what's he really doing there at the front? You wanted him with tails and a bat on. I really, I like the way he was dressed. I'm thinking of dressing that way myself, actually. How natty. So, okay, well, let's try and kind of um, get something from the wreckage. Um, Hans, 303s, <laughs> have you ever used them? Yeah, I owned, I owned one, but not for a very extensive period um, because I hardly ever used it. And at the time when I sold it, it was in such a high demand from German techno producer that I got a very good price for it, so I sold it. I never that much regretted it because of the kind of music I was producing, I didn't need the three or three sound that much. So, what uh, what possessed you to buy it, or did you just find it at a, at a bargain and thought I must get that for an investment? No, at the time when I got it, I think it wasn't that hot already, and got really, really hot um, on the market, and then I sold it because I thought, oh, I could get quite quite a lot of money for it right now, and I'm I'm not using it, so I got rid of it. I've never owned one. I don't think I've ever even played with them. Dave, I know you did. You had one because you've told us the story that you sold it for n- next to nothing at a car boot sale. Yeah, and the guy kept bloody bringing me up asking for the instruction manual. Actually, oh. I've got back into it. 
Have you got one I've again? Got, I bought, uh, well, I've got one of those D12, um, I can't think what it's called. They do the kind of 808, 909 software thingies um, with the um, 303 emulation as well. It's been quite good fun. D12 group, I think they're called. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, they do all that rolling stuff, right? Mm. Yeah, it's good. Uh, the drum machines and everything. Yeah. Can you use it for anything other than whippy acid lines? No, you can't. Well, what is really funny is that one thing you can't emulate with the software is what we used to do is we take out the batteries very, very briefly and stick it on back on, and usually it would generate a random sequence. That was fun. Mm. And then later I used a TB303 clone, which oh, yeah. was actually a good synthesizer from a, from a German company. I can't recall what, what. They also made a very good vocoder. Was it Delusion? Was it Rubber Duck? No, was it the no. Deep Bass, um, the Deep Bass Nine? Is that what it was called? Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. It was one of the first uh, 303 emulators, actually. Yeah, but I didn't use them. In, uh, that one was also a very good bass synthesizer in its own respect. It had some um, controls inside it that, if you took the lid off and twisted them round, um, you could make it make its range go like a lot away from 303, and it actually was a really great synth in itself. Yeah. Ah, I never knew that. That's an interesting one. Well, maybe the um, maybe the uh, 303 orchestra could um, have a, a movement where they all just take the batteries out of their 303s and put them back in, and then you have a kind of brief spell of chaos. Or maybe, judging by the sound of that, that's what they were doing anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. don't think they need to do that. <laughs> well, it'd be nice if we could uh, get a kind of reasonable recording of that, because his website's very arty and kind of, you know, but it hasn't got any representations of the 303 orchestra which is kind of a shame. So maybe it's a one-off concept thing. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. I, I was listening to the radio the other day, and it was on Radio 4, which is a kind of UK talk radio, quite sort of posh. And they were just, um, they had a couple of people on on Sunday morning, I think it was. They were talking about, um, it's been 25 years, almost to the day, to the week, since Michael Jackson's Thriller was released. Which, as a story, which apparently spent 37 weeks at the top of the US charts, a record for a non-soundtrack recording. It won the most ever Grammys in one night, eight, and was the first album to spawn seven top ten hits. There's a list, the list goes on. Uh, apparently it sold over 100 million copies. It's the fastest selling record in history, or the highest selling record in history, or was. I'm not sure if that's, that's the case anymore. But I thought 25 years ago, I remember what I was doing then. I think I was working in a restaurant um, and trying to get tracks together in my bedroom on a four track. And when would that have been? D110? Would a D110 would have been around then? What would that have been? 80, maybe just about. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. I had one of those. I think it was cool. my first drum machine. No, um, oh, I had one of those as well. That's a DDM-10, A DDM-10, yeah, DDM. Rich, is it a, t- is it a term of reference, a, 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 a point of reference? Yeah, yeah, it's a defining moment in, rec- in recorded history. I really do believe that. And it uh, sounds, I he- I've been hearing it lately on the radio, I guess, because there's a 25th anniversary edition or something. Yeah, being- just in time for Christmas. Yeah, and uh, it sounds great to me. It just sounds 
everybody was on their game and it just sounds wonderful and even, uh, even the drum machines don't bother me it just it all sounds <laughs> no seriously it's it, it does have a certain uh uh sense of period to yeah, it of course, in yeah. terms of the sounds that were chosen but still and it's just, it's so extraordinarily musical and uh his performances are just magnificent and uh, quincy was on his game and bruce's engineering was fantastic and I look back longingly on that era in some ways uh, in terms of the creativity aspect uh, of the way these records were being made, popular dance records. And no editing and no Pro Tools. Right. I don't know about no editing. I'll bet they got the razor out. Right. Oh, yeah, sorry about that, yes. Right, right. Plenty of vocal comping and tons of vocal tracks going on at the same time. So what, they would, would, they, would they have been using um, Dash or Sony, Sony PCM recorders or something, you know, the 32s and the 48 tracks? They probably needed it, wouldn't they? I doubt if they would have done that on analog, surely. I think Thriller was cut to two inch. Wow, really? I could be wrong, but I think it was cut to two inch. Maybe a couple of them or three of them locked together or something. I, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Be interesting can, you thing ima- to find. can you imagine? I just remember just, just thinking of that makes me think, you know, do you remember all the times? I mean, I remember when I first started doing studio sessions when you didn't have MIDI song position pointers and you're working with MIDI sequences and you had to go back to the beginning of the song every single time just to hear, like, you know, the bass drum part you'd modified in the fade-out. Do you remember all that? Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I remember. And samplers, samplers with only one audio output or stereo audio output, and you'd then have to go and separate all the MIDI parts and lay them all down separately. So the drum track could take, like, eight hours to record just to get everything out separate. It's, it's kind of inconceivable <laughs> now, isn't it? The, the fact that you yeah. actually would have to wait even for a tape to rewind, you know, the... the it's just sort of, you just think, gosh, did we really have to spend, I mean, in an average session, I suppose if you're mixing, when you're working, if you're doing it in sections, perhaps, the co- you know, how much time did you spend actually rewinding a tape? Incredible amount. A high percentage of the time, you know, 10, 15% of the session was spent doing that? Well, it must have been at least. Right, but the question becomes creatively whether or not you benefit artistically from having that moment of reflection. And also, it must you have to focus the mind, because you'd have to hold that, it develops your kind of brain skills because you'd have to hold the kind of this is what it sounded like. Now I've done something else. This is what it sounds like now. Now, does that sound any better? Well, I don't know because to hear it again, you'd have to rewind it, get, reconfigure everything. And you know what I mean, it's kind of quite. Um, and I think these days we get really lost with all the options because in the old days you would have to make your decisions and then they would be done. But now, right, now right. we usually go through 200 recorded tracks, <laughs> sorting everything out and replacing sounds hundred times i think that's probably uh, where we uh, now lose all the time because i think these days it takes a lot longer to produce albums than it than it did in the old days i like to think it doesn't but perhaps that's actually uh, a total myth perhaps you're right i perhaps think it does the problem take with the options is that by the time you've listened to the fifth option you've got bored of listening to them so you've probably already picked which one you're going to use anyway so by the time you get to option number 200 you're so confused that you just yeah, <laughs> you can tell the difference after a while. I think your brain right. can only remember something like seven different things at once, can't it? So once you've yes. gone past that seven different, you know, you've got all the all the inflections and everything to remember on a vocal and stuff. I don't. Do you have it? Then do you just end an album with look? I just want it to end, so I'll make any arbitrary decision just to stop. This precise thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Rich. I mean, have you ever worked with Quincy? I mean, do you know what his working methods like? I mean, is he very much a kind of like? snappy kind of just get on with it yeah that's it it's a take it's a wrap or is he a kind of meticulous and kind of 
what's his do you know what his approach is i've not worked with quincy but i have met him and uh stood with him side by side on the stage of carnegie hall interestingly one day at a uh function for a group called city kids in new york city um so i've never worked with him and i don't know the answer to the question about his process but i suppose that he tries to be fairly spontaneous and i suspect that he's not all that deep in the technology um so he play he's you know sort of a musical producer i don't think he's actually uh i don't think he's a hands-on guy in the right. in the process i think he's there directing and giving his opinion that's my guess well I, I, there's nothing wrong with a bit of idle conjecture i'm quite happy to take that as a as a as a, <laughs> as a total fact but i it's a no so he's probably a sort of old school swivelly chair kind of producer i do know for thriller I think they had something like seven of the major LA studios all dedicated to synth programming and sound design. It was literally like, right, hire the best, get them all in there, everyone working kind of in parallel with each other, probably off against each other as well. So how would that work? So it's like, hey, I'm going for the electric piano on this track, you know, how does it work? I've been asked to do the bass sound. Yeah, me too. Mine's going to be best, you know. I mean, how would that work? I suppose it might. I think... Probably along those lines. I know I spoke to Michael Bordica years ago who was involved in the album and he was uh, telling us some of the stuff that went on. I mean, it just sounded like an absolutely mammoth, mammoth expedition. And by looking at the credits on Wikipedia for the various songs on the album, you're right, Dave. On every track, there are different synthesizer programmers and sound programmers quoted so then there's a whole hell of a lot of different people involved in synthesizer programming and synthesizer playing all different ones for different tracks amazing eh? is is uh does thriller kind of feature in your musical landscape um, what was the time let me have a look when was it released 25 did, years ago it would be 1980 84 no. yeah that, that, 84 yeah 80 no it can't be 83 83 25 years ago, it was 1982. 82, there we go. I didn't get that. Right. Here it says it was released on the 1st of December, 1982. And in that, at that time of, in history, I was already flying with the punk and new wave revolution, and that was already yeah. boring for me. Michael, ja- <laughs> Michael Jackson's probably not going to be the coolest thing to be into if you're into punk, really, is it? Absolutely not. But was, go on, I bet, I bet when you go to a wedding and, and Michael Jackson comes on, you still have a bit of a shuffle, don't you? I think what's great is want to be starting something. I think that's a really great. That was dance. on. That wasn't that living off the wall. No, it's on on here. It's great. It's quoted it? at the first track. Yeah, yeah. Whoops. Yeah, that was great. Absolutely you great. You can edit that. Yeah, I can edit. I tell you what, I'll edit that and make me look good and everybody else look look bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I usually. Beat it was great. The eight oh eight programming. That's great. And also that whole crossover with it was getting Eddie Van Halen in on it. That was yeah. kind of the well, first that, time. That was pretty inspired, yeah, wasn't that's it? That's what I was going to say. What was interesting on this is that everybody, they were going on about, you know, everyone knows where they were when that video was played. Is that true? Was that, um... I don't know where I was. I moved to London in 1982 and immediately started smoking masses of hash, and I have no clue <laughs> where <laughs> where I was going to say. Yeah, but there you go. So you, you, you at least can kind of pin it down roughly. <laughs> Well, only because I know it was 1982, but <laughs> I was sort of experimenting with electronics on the, on the floor of some really mangy uh, house that I was renting, that everyone that came round were going, oh, cool, squat, man. And I'd be like, no, no, I rent this place, it's 25 <laughs> quid a week. And they'd be like, oh. <laughs> you mean you pay for this? 
yeah. had all these fuzz boxes in pieces on the ground and used to sort of short things out and make these guitar sounds that that I seem to think and I seem to think I was trying to emulate that Van Halen sound on that record, but then mine just sounded more like this kind of just so uber distorted noise that you couldn't actually tell what notes i was playing and if you're really really stoned then you know it probably felt great it did yeah felt amazing i couldn't tell the difference between the broom handle and the guitar neck at some point in that i seem to remember but (laughs) mark i know you're teetotal and totally clean these days (laughs) i just hope my daughter doesn't listen to this so yeah michael jackson's thriller um, uh, another mi- musical milestone. Um, I just wonder if maybe that was his kind of that was kind of the pinnacle of the purest essence of his kind of musical talent. Perhaps was kind of distilled for that very moment, and ever since then, it's not never quite been surpassed. Would that be a fair thing to say, or have any are there any other highlights? Yeah, I yeah, do definitely. Actually, definitely. I'm just looking at the uh, Wikipedia entry for Bad and uh, Speed Demon synthesizer programming. Eric Persing. It's nice the way they were complete with the credits back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's on Wikipedia, so, I mean, maybe Beverly will just go. (laughs) Hey, maybe I'll put my name on it as well. sort of ambient piece that's uh, by a chap called peter grenada who um you may or may not be familiar with his stuff he does this this modular synthesizer called e from eir research and i think he's kind of the boffin behind them as far as i can tell and we've interviewed him a couple of times and i didn't realize that he he actually does his own music and that's sort of electroacoustic stuff it's from a live performance taken um that he did um quite recently and i just thought it was quite good usually you know you don't get to hear what people who make instruments do musically and uh it's a, pre- a very pleasant pleasant surprise there's a whole bunch of mp3s up there on eargroup.net 
um, of of that particular performance. And there's some great sounds in there. I mean, as you would expect, because he must know those synthesizers inside out. And there's some really interesting and unusual sounds in there too. It's sometimes incredible to find out what synth makers um, make uh, in terms of music. Sometimes it's interesting to find out what podcasters. Um, have been doing in music when I found out that you did you were involved in Tom's Diner I was quite flashed oh that was uh, you must be referring to the last episode of the top five greatest samplers which has uh, been our uh, uh, latest uh, IPTV series that, that Simon Simon's done for us did you see that what did you think do you think Akai's deserve to be the last slot in there I think uh, probably in terms of the, the impact that perhaps they made um, over a long period of time undoubtedly Dave I'm never so glad that you agreed because you'd be surprised <laughs> yeah. how many people didn't. I, <laughs> I wonder whether was... maybe in America, um, Akai's didn't have quite such a, a sort of stronghold. Is that, would that be true to say? I'm not so sure about that. They were, their devotees were many. I don't know if they were as, as sort of all-encompassing as they were here, though, because I remember going over to America and needing to hire Akai S-thousands and having quite a lot of difficulty getting them in the late 80s, so... I think people were much more into EMU and EPS there because the price difference was so huge. Actually, Akai's were like very expensive compared to the to the EPS, weren't they? In America, um, I had the pleasure to actually use the first Akai S1000 that ever made it to Germany because Akai sent one to uh, Steinberg. Where, uh, for which I worked at the time, and they were asking us to actually uh, do a SynthWorks editor for the S1000. But I took it home to my studio, and then I told everybody, somebody said, oh, no, it's got such a great uh, screen, LCD screen. It's pointless to do uh, uh, an editor, and kept it in my studio. <laughs> you dirty dog. <laughs> and did, it, did it serve you well? Yes, yes. Oh, we really used it ex- extensively. It yeah. was really great. Yeah, it was a it was a uh, such a difference in terms of uh, sound um, t- uh, t- uh, compared to the twelve bit uh, samplers I've been using before. And the amount of RAM, wasn't it? I mean, I remember when we first yeah. got ours because um, we'd upgraded from S nine hundreds, and uh, it was just you know wow, we could get like a whole chorus in there, a whole verse, a whole vocal in there. You know, it was brilliant. There was one problem though that when you were doing a stereo sample, you needed to. I think there was an option that you needed to to enable to keep it in phase. And when, yeah, when the guys did, yeah. from yeah, when the guys from Snap were doing the power, when you um, when you uh, f- uh, hit mono, the the drum loop more or less disappears because they forgot to um, <laughs> to use that option for the drum loop. <laughs> Excellent. I still want to do something with phase shifting. I've determined to make a record that when you play it in mono, all you can hear is some old chap ranting and uh, speaking a poem or something. (laughs) Who would that old chap be then? Have you got someone in mind? You know, leave it long enough. It might end up being me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, didn't uh, actually Spiritualize did an album called Pure Phase, didn't they? And they were doing, I remember that the guy who uh, does a lot of work for us, Trevor Kerwin, he was actually engineering in the studio for that, the recording of that album. And I remember when it came to the final mastering, there was all sorts of really complicated things that he wanted to do. He was laying tracks alongside each other and shifting the phase and moving. I can't remember exactly what happened. And that's, you know, he was very much experimenting with that. Uh, that guy, I think he's called Jason. I forget what his surname is, but he's very much into that sort of world. So spiritualized pure phase. I don't know what that's like in mono. Oh, okay. You want to try it out? I am going to. 
I copped off with a female due to my uh, expertise with the Akai S950. Really? How is that possible? It's brilliant. So she comes into the studio and it's quite an intense session and I'm on the samplers and the keyboards and I'm just whizzing through the old cursor um, knob and punching buttons and stuff like this. And after this session, she looked at me and she went, are you as good with a clitoris as you are with that S950? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> grief! How sordid! Oh, fantastic. Heavens. The rest of the <laughs> studio just went, their jaws hit the floor, and it was like, oh, the uh, program has copped off again. Did she say, get your coat, love, you've pulled then? Well, I married her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you? Was that, was that, your, was that your Louise? Uh, it might have been. I can't remember. <laughs> Don't let her hear this, then. SonicState.com Let's have a quick look at workspace and environment. And Mike Cameron from Illinois, um, who's, who, who is a fan of the podcast and said wonderful glowing things about it, said uh, he, he invited us to post on this blog, which is called Trash Audio. Um, but what it is, is it's not your usual kind of blog. It's just got people posting about how their work environment um, affects the way that they are creatively and how they get them together. And it just made me think, you know, how... Because it's funny, you know, when you had lots more gear and a desk and everything, you know, the layout and everything was very important. And it sort of it had to be sort of fairly critical, I always found. I have to be off, Nick. Sorry. Okay. Well, no, uh, no. thank you very much for joining us. It's a shame you can't get your input, but thank you. Till next time, folks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Funny that this comes up because just this year I redesigned the room that I work in. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of time to think about this sort of thing. And, uh, and I had designed the last one like 15 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. So it, it yes, um, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, you can see from pictures of my studio what uh, what works for me. These days, what works for me is facing the computer, not the mixing desk. Having the monitors, you know, suitably arranged around yeah. uh, a lovely computer monitor. And uh, in my case right now, the mixing desk is to my left. To my right, near uh, sort of looking up at me from the floor, is a bunch of my favorite input pads. And then across the desk on either side, there are some rack spaces with uh, some nice, uh, you know, nice gear in them. And then uh, behind me on a stand that just sort of slides across the floor are uh, keyboard controllers. Ah, uh, okay. And, right, and uh, then over on the other side of the input stuff on the right is the microphone. And behind me... To the right is a closet full of computers with a door that shuts and keeps the room quiet. What you're saying there, I mean, the, the fact that you now face the monitor rather than the mixing board, because that always used to be the kind of place where you balance your midfield monitors and your near fields and your what have you. I mean, that's sort of gone, really, hasn't it, in most people's well, I, working setups? Yeah, well, the, the mixing console for me in this, in this concept, generally speaking, is a monitoring environment. It takes a whole range of stereo inputs and feeds them into a stereo bus in a pleasing way because it's a vintage Neve. Um, Beautiful. And I haven't been, I've, I am now just able, because we've had the whole thing recapped, to begin experimenting with it as a sort of a summing uh, environment for multiple outputs on a DAW. But in general, it works uh, as a, a summing yeah, you know, a summing station for a bunch of stereo inputs coming off the computers, off the interfaces, and stuff like that. There are pictures of this. What's that URL? Is it um, myspace.com? Slash Hiltonius. Slash Hiltonius. Okay, we'll go and take a look. My current environment is a sort of L-shaped desk with a pair of Genelec 1029As, and my MacBook Pro sat in it. 
a little mixer to my left, which I'm looking at now, uh, which is a Mackie 1202 VLZ3. Very nice sounding. And on my right, a little Axiom 25M audio thing. And that's kind of it, really. And it just, but when I, you know, used to have a more functioning studio, used to be working on remixes all the time, it was very important because I'm one of these people that kind of gets really pissed off if I have to needlessly reach too far or get some, get at something that's not put in the right place on a repeated basis. And that sort of thing used to really kind of get on my nerves. So I was very specific. Whereas now all I care about is really, I mean, I can work on headphones and it's just such a strange change. I mean, Dave, you're, are you kind of in the process of phasing out a, a mixing console or? I want it back. I took it out when we were um, AB and a load of converters. I took it out of the chain, but I really want it back. My situation is kind of weird because almost every project demands a kind of different setup, which means that what I'm working on is fine, but then everything else kind of falls apart and the room gets incredibly messy where I am not, and actually where I am, strangely enough. Um, But then when, when we move on or when I move on to another project, then I have to kind of almost re- reset up the studio again which is which does drive me a little bit mad at oh times. yeah i mean that's the whole thing of a workspace isn't it everything is where you want it and you know you don't have to do that every time that's the thing that is quite annoying we used to do i mean you know regularly I'd, at night in particular i kind of turn off you know turn the lights down and just kind of jam around for hours and hours but i need the mixing desk for that what about sort of environmental sort of issues i mean aside from the actual kind of gear and the way it's laid out i mean is there anything that you kind of require from that point of view, I mean, you know, whether it be daylight or a constant, <laughs> a constant <laughs> flow of fresh air or, you know. No, I have neither of those. I need, I, my dream is to have a room with a window. I have no windows in this room, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my dream. My, my, one of my big heroes is John Martin, who wrote one of his seminal tracks, looking out over the sea from his house in Hastings. And I've always thought, you know what, I'd really like that. And I was lucky to go down to the Coil guy's place, uh, which again overlooked the sea. And I was like, oh, God, you know, it's not too much to ask, is it really? A room with a view? Yeah, I think, it's essential. I think it's absolutely essential. I think it's more important than anything else, actually. I mean, if you're locked away somewhere in the dark, it's just bloody awful, actually. Doesn't it focus the mind, though? For me, what it does. Yeah, yeah, kind of in good. the same way that a life sentence does. Yeah, yes. Focus the mind. Being locked in the dark, focus the mind. Well, on the, no. at the job in hand, obviously, because you can leave the room. But uh, For me, it does, definitely. But my missus keeps going on about photosynthesis, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there were some there were some nice looking spaces. There was a chap called Deru who uh, who's, who's posted this this blog. I believe anyone can post to it, and you ask a, a series of questions, uh, or you you get in touch with the guy who's running it, and uh, you can kind of if you want to big up your own space and answer a few questions, you're welcome to go over there. He in fact he invited any one of us. He he was particularly interested in in any one of us coming over and uh, you know posting on there. So if anyone feels like it, get over there. I mean, my, mine just takes place wherever I feel like it now, and even more so now that Logic doesn't have a dongle anymore. And it's wherever I am that I can switch the laptop on, I can work, and that's brilliant. Um, and the pieces of gear that I have that annoy me the most are the ones with the most wires coming out of them, so they get used the least, I suppose. <laughs> so that's, I've got, that's I mean, I've a, got that's that Line 6 guitar, and I just don't use it because I have to plug in so many different boxes into it to power it and stuff. I just, oh, 
<laughs> interesting. Now, so thank you, Mike Cameron. Uh, that's, uh, that did start off a, an interesting discussion about workspace. And um, we'll see if we can persuade anybody to get over there and, uh, and, and post something on the blog. And thank you all, all for participating. Thanks to Noronek, who had to disappear uh, prematurely. But uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software, g4software.com. Thank you. And Rich Hilton, uh, that's uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, where you can actually see pictures of his uh, studio setup as well. Always a pleasure, gents. Thank you. And Mr. Mark Tinley, thank you. And uh, your son seems to have been once again placated by the joys of the cathode ray. Oh, uh, yeah, I had to put cars on again. He's back on Lightning McQueen, but it's having a slight side effect. I went to lunch with my brother yesterday because it was his 40th birthday, and I took East with me. This was in London. And East took to his feet and was racing round and round this restaurant uh, for quite a long time, and it was all really difficult. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm racing, like lightening the queen. <laughs> uh, oh, bless. <laughs> oh, well, um, anyway, regards to him, regards to your brother, regards to everybody, and thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, it's been Sonic Talk number 68. This has been another week. And remember, folks, comments are always welcome. We'll be happy to read them out or play them or however they arrive. Uh, you can email them at, to sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We can just take words or MP3s. Or if you've got Skype, uh, you can call us on Sonic Talk, the handle Sonic Talk. Oh, we've got an answer phone there. Just leave us a message. Uh, we've got Skype in numbers in the US for that. Uh, so dial 312-376-8089 if you're inside the US. Or if the UK is closer or you're in the UK, 0207-870-8616. Remember to dial your country code for those if you're outside either of those countries. That's US telephone number 312-376-8089, UK 0207-870-8616. Thanks for listening. Sonic. States. What's wrong?